If we could open in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear this message. Do not let our self-doubts and insecurities speak louder to us than your love, acceptance, and forgiveness of our sins. Amen. I want to start this by having you think about oxygen masks and airplanes. When they drop down, you first help yourself before you can help others. I believe that self-forgiveness is a critical part of helping yourself and is our spiritual version of an oxygen mask. It helps us make our way in our lives to help others and allow space in our hearts for your perfect love. In the past year, I've learned a lot about self-forgiveness, mostly through the examples of others that are in my life. I'm going to spend most of my time tonight sharing examples I've seen in their respective journeys where they open their hearts for a deeper faith through their own self-forgiveness. As Steve said, I spent time as a missionary this summer in Costa Rica with a team that connected to youth by bringing basketball to them. It was a way to open a door. At one point, a man walked up to me, and he asked if I understood who we were hanging out with. In his words, they were very bad people. And I said, that's who God brought us here to find. I didn't think they were bad people. I think they had some bad circumstances, and I think they made some pretty bad decisions. I don't think they were bad people. They were children of God. I told him these were the people God gave us a mission to come find. The reality of it was that we came to play basketball with kids from a high school. Circumstances in local politics didn't allow that, and we had to really quickly pivot. And so we took to the impoverished streets of Terrasas, Costa Rica, and found young people that I believe truly were our mission. Emily I spoke about in church one Sunday. She's a young woman about 18 years old. She has a young child, and her mother kicked her out of the house for her bad decisions that had to do with drugs and other things. In that, she became homeless, and then soon became, um, take, she, she was taken in by a woman who she thought was her new mom. Um, it's actually the woman that, that runs a brothel right near the lighthouse that this church supports. Emily has two outfits to her name, so it's clear the money she brings in it's not hers to keep. She did not feel worthy of our love. She changed clothes from her okay outfit to her nice outfit. To me, there wasn't a difference, but she felt unworthy to be in our presence. But we told her we loved her, and we told her God loved her. We asked if we could pray with her, and we did that. At one point, Chuck Cornwell uh, a retired pastor said to us he felt like he could see an angel over Holly Timberlake and over Gretel, the director of Christ for the City International, as they prayed with this girl, an angel guarding them. The woman who ran the brothel, the drug dealer that that woman worked for, wouldn't step foot on the court. They wouldn't. They let her be with us for that day. So we gave her some clothes. We asked her to come back around. She tried to reconcile with her mother. That's a work in progress. We got an update the other day that, unfortunately, she's still living in the brothel. But God's not done with her yet, and she is definitely a focus that the lighthouse has. So keep praying for Emily. One of the other gentlemen that made a really big impact on me is the guy that I call the hitman turned soccer coach. <laughs> he was uh, a young man probably about the same age as Emily. 
he had been involved in, um, they, they don't call it using drugs in Costa Rica, they call it consuming. He was consuming, he was dealing, and one day his boss sent him to kill another man. This is typical, this is, this is the progression in that career. It's their career path. He shot the man five times and the man lived, and he thanks God for that. But the next day or two, he was in a car and some gentleman jumped out from the car in front of him. He and his four friends were trapped in a car while they shot every possible bullet conceivable into that car. He crouched down and he prayed. He said it was the first time he really prayed. And he said, God, if you get me out of this, my life is yours. Of the five young men in that car, two survived. So he went to a camp sponsored by Christ for the City International that gets them out of the city and gets them into a place where they can start to explore what, what place God has in their life. He had to ask for forgiveness. He had to forgive himself. Emily had to forgive herself just to come to us. We had to tell her she was worthy, and she started to forgive herself. I guarantee you she's not done. She's got a lot more self-forgiveness to go. This young man also does as well, but one of the things he's done is kept his word. He now runs a soccer team. When we met him, he said, my soccer team, they win every game they play, but they're not allowed to take part in many tournaments because we don't have uniforms. We started brainstorming, we thought, oh, there's all these soccer teams, we'll get some old uniforms, we'll ship them down with one of the next groups. And we're talking to him, and he's getting a little emotional. A little teary-eyed, but he's tough and he's not going to cry. And I said, wait a minute, how much does a uniform cost here? Because I'm guessing in a country that makes a whole lot of fabric and manufactures clothing, it might be cheaper. And they said, oh, it's really expensive. It's like $15 a uniform. Oh, well, okay. So we left, and we went back to the house, and it was heavy on my heart. And it was heavy on a couple other people's hearts. And we, we kind of started talking and conspiring, and we started pulling together some funds. And within about an hour, we had $400, more than enough for his whole team to have uniforms and numbers. And then there was some leftover funds. Gretel is managing that for us. We didn't just hand it over to him. The other day, he got his uniforms, and when they handed him to him, he wept. He said, we're not the losers anymore. We're not the losers anymore. They never were, in God's eyes. But they don't see themselves that way, because everyone else sees them that way. So now they see themselves as losers, and they have to forgive themselves for the decisions that they made. So Costa Rica made a big impact. There was a lot of boys that, and a couple young women that played basketball with us. And by the end, we said, we gave our testimonies. And we told them about our lives. We told them about the role they were playing in our, in, in our stories, about how worthy they were. And they started telling us about the things they had done in their lives and, and things they needed forgiveness for. And we said, you know, the forgiveness is there. It was there before you were born. And asked them to raise their hands. Boys that, that showed up bleary-eyed and stoned out of their minds, out of their minds on day one. Clear-eyed, not on drugs by the third day. We only had about three days with them. Clear-eyed, not on drugs, excited to be there, showed up early, asking where we were. We said, raise your hand if you're ready to accept Christ into your heart. 
slowly because there were some of the, their, their bosses, the drug dealers, watching on. Slowly they started to raise their hands. That took a lot more courage than it takes for me to raise my hand in here today. But they did it, and I pray for them every day. I think about them every day. They asked, when's the basketball team coming back? When Gretel came to visit us, that was what she said. When's the basketball team coming back? They ask her every day. This church, um, I mentor a group of young girls here at Faith Westwood with another adult. I jokingly call them, I, I'm their, their uh, group mom, if you will. <laughs> Together, this other individual and I have seen them through middle school, which was fun and interesting. Um, a lot of things that they had to forgive each other for, to forgive themselves for, mistakes they made that they got down on themselves about, and we would, we would counsel them through. Now we're on to high school, they're freshmen, and we're, there's a whole new set of, as, as they tell me, when, and we call it gossip when we're older, they call it spilling tea. So we spill tea a lot, <laughs> and then we talk through, is that what love is? Is that what it looks like? You have to forgive yourself, it's okay. But you got to do this, they're telling me, when you spill tea. You have to raise your finger like you're drinking tea. Um, they're, they're, they're still schooling me from the, the, the bleachers over here. Uh, but we do talk about real issues. And when they are confused or at a crossroads, we, we walk through that with them so that they can have love for God and, and as well, love for themselves. That's hard when you're a teenager. It's hard for teenage boys. It's hard for teenage girls. In my personal life, there are some people that have made an impact on me. I've seen some dark days, and I have felt despair and forgot to forgive myself for being involved with people or situations that haven't turned out so great. I do have friends that have worked really hard to remind me I'm worthy of forgiveness, and I'm also worthy of all that God has in store for me. These people know who they are, and they know they've saved me from myself many times. I'm the proud mother of an amazing kid. Having said that, he and I are so imperfect, it hurts. Often. I have to forgive myself when I don't live up to my own unrealistic expectations as a mother, or when my son makes decisions I'm not terribly proud of. Those decisions aren't my fault. I didn't provoke those decisions. But I do forgive him much more easily than I forgive myself. I work hard to remind him he is not the sum of his bad decisions. He is valuable, worthy, kind, amazing, and he teaches me about love every day. I've had the privilege of watching him counsel his own friends and their self-worth. He tells them in person or text they're beautiful, they're smart, they're talented, they're worthy. When he does that, it makes my heart melt with pride. A few years ago, I walked into Vicki O'Hara's office and asked for help. I told her I felt like I was circling the drain, and she directed me to a therapist who, over the course of a couple of sessions, diagnosed me with chronic PTSD. It's not an end-of-my-life sentence, but it's something I'm going to have to deal with forever. But the thing was is that I was relieved, because until then I felt that I was fatally flawed and that I was to blame. Part of the journey was realizing I needed to be okay with being perfectly imperfect. You see, I'm a perfectionist. And the problem with that is that I have achieved complete perfection exactly 0% of the time. The events and circumstances that led me into this aren't my fault, but I did have such a hard time forgiving myself. 
it was hard for me to be grateful, to be thankful. In a season of Thanksgiving, I think about that a lot. It was an odd concept when I felt mostly despair and dread. I realized until I could forgive myself, being thankful wasn't really in my grasp. I'm getting there. I'm also a work in progress. I'm pulling, a, I'm pulling from the examples of love and perfect imperfection around me so I can again feel thankful for the world, for my life, and the, the role that God has for me in it. So as Steve says in his sermons, it leads me to my big thought for this evening. <laughs> The path to thanksgiving is found through self-forgiveness. Jesus paved this path. God gave us forgiveness for all of our sins before we ever even existed. It's just ours to accept. When we accept his forgiveness, we make room in our hearts for love and for change and for thanksgiving. We will never achieve perfection, but that's just fine. We were never expected to be perfect. So on a fun final note, I have a top 10 things that I'm thankful for in 2018. Number 10, financial peace classes. For the teens that are looking for ways to get started right and the adults who are brave enough to course correct, I'm thankful for their trust in me. Faith Westwood United Methodist Church, number nine. I've never experienced a church that's so open and giving and committed to serving without expecting anything in return. I'm thankful for this church's commitment to others. Number eight, my faith. I know I have a purpose, a calling, and I know God is there to lift me up when I just want to give up. And I am thankful for his presence in my life. Number seven, my extended family. I, as many of you may know, if you belong to this church, I have a huge loving family. According to others, we have something special and unique, and I am thankful for them both in numbers and strength. My friends. My closest friends pull me out of my funky moods. They affirm and they lift me up. I would be lost without them, and I am thankful that they are anchors in my storms. My mom. My amazing mom who doesn't always get me, but she never stops loving me and is always there to support me. I'm thankful for all of her support. My dad. <laughs> he pushes me. He believes in me more than I believe in myself. We do butt heads. He wants more from me than sometimes I feel I have to give. But he is a big reason I get up and try again. Because he sees things in me in a way no one else does, and I'm thankful for his perseverance. My grandparents taught me about loyalty to family. Oh, we're on number three, I'm sorry. Loyalty for family, love for those outside of our circles, connection to God and faith, and love me for who I am at all times, and I'm thankful for their acceptance. My son, he is the light of my life. He is my motivation and fills my heart so full it might burst. I am so excited to see what his future brings and a little terrified. <laughs> and I'm also thankful for his amazing servant heart. And number one, I am thankful for coffee and Diet Coke. Without these, mornings would be too much to bear and I wouldn't have the energy to be thankful. All of these 10 things have led me to see the value in myself and that, that overshadows my imperfections. It's the fuel I was missing before. I want to leave you with three things as a call to action if you also struggle with self-forgiveness. These have been important in my journey. Number one, accept forgiveness. Forgiveness from ourself and accepting God's forgiveness that was there before we were born. Number two, accept imperfection. 
understanding that we are 100% perfect exactly 0% of the time. Accept counsel. Let others join you in your journey. It, it lends you strength and clarity when it may be too difficult to find on your own. If we could close in a prayer. Father God, we desire to open our hearts and minds to you, to learn forgiveness in the way you intended it, to know that we are imperfect while living our earthly lives, but through your Son, we were made perfectly imperfect when he died to absolve our sins. Help us to accept forgiveness, to love ourselves so that we can love others, also that we can make space in our hearts for your word. In this season of Thanksgiving, we turn to you so that we can begin to show ourselves as your followers and to act more Christ-like as we grow in our own faith. Amen.